education. We've seen just some incredible stuff in terms of prophecy and how that relates to the time that we're presently living in. But when we came to chapter 14, it was just far too practical. And it was exactly where we were as a church. There were just some things we needed to deal with as a church. And as God is very faithful to do, he always brings those things up as we faithfully just take his book and preach it and teach it the way that he lined it out, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we, we've come through all of that. Now we're going to, hopefully, we're going to pick up the pace just a little bit in our study of the book of Revelation. Some of you folks have been saved in the last year. You haven't really found out what the book of Revelation really is in terms of its content, and uh, you're, you're going to begin to get that. But let, let me ask you to turn to the last page on your study sheet. And let's, let's just try to get a little focus going as we, as we get started this morning. Now, again, for about the last year, if, if it wasn't practical for you, it was probably just because you were, you were brain dead. You just came in here too sleepy to be able to get something. Because that's all it's really been, is just practical. I mean, we've just over and over seen that. And again, now, we're moving into an area now to where... If you're going to get the whole passage and, and we're going to be able to get any, any steam ahead on this thing, you're going to have to be listening all the way through this to get some practical application for your life. And so as we get started this morning, I want you to know where we're moving this morning. What I'm going to be asking you at the end is what was the most significant verse or statement you were confronted with in today's message. And so I'm telling you this now, so as we're beginning to move into this territory, you can already begin to listen for what is it that God is trying to say to me in my life. Certainly we're responsible to know this book. It's going to have practical application on our life just in the fact that John said that every man that has this hope in himself purifies himself. So yeah, I mean, there's going to be application. But what is it specifically that God is wanting you to hear this morning? Something that specifically applies to your life. And that's the second thing. In what way or ways do you think the Lord wants to use this? That is that statement or that verse that he just kind of took off the page and put it right in your face. What, what is that, that, that thing that the Lord is wanting you to put into your life? And then we'll conclude with a, a brief prayer of dedication surrender concerning those things. But... We're going to move on in Revelation chapter 14, but before we get there, I want you to turn back with me to the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter. And look at chapter 3. And as you're getting ready to see, Peter is going to be talking about what is taking place in the time that you and I are presently living in right now. He says, verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, now, now watch this, walking after their own lust. Okay, now what causes these people to scoff is because they want to do what they want to do. They want to walk and continue to walk according to their own lust. And here's what they're saying, these scoffers. Ah, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. He, he, and what, what basically Peter is letting us know is that in the last days, what's going to happen is people are finally going to get to the place to where they say, you know what? You Christians have been doing the same thing generation after generation after generation. 
Every generation thinks this is the last days and we're the ones that are going to be taken off the planet and all of that. And he says, in the last days, scoffers are going to come and that's what they're going to use to throw in your face. Anybody ever had anybody throw that in your face? One of the good indications that we are, in fact, living in the last days. Okay, he says in verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. Well, watch this now. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you know what Peter is letting us know? What he's saying here is that, yeah, you're going to be living in those last days that we're living in. Scoffers are going to come, they're going to get in your face, and they're going to say, you guys are all alike. You, can't you get it? that nothing is going to change. He ain't going to come back. He ain't going to rescue you off this planet. Don't you get that? And you know, I, I'm just telling you, I am so glad that I'm not God. Because I, I'm just telling you, if I was God, when people would do that kind of stuff, I would just... Pain! <laughs> just flick you off my globe. You know what I'm saying? And, and now, now listen, and... If that were the case, I would have already been flicked off this globe long, long ago. Wouldn't you? I'm real glad that I ain't God. I'm real glad you ain't God. What Peter lets us know here is that the only reason that he hasn't already come back, you know what it is? The only reason is because he's long-suffering. He's gracious. He's merciful. And even when people scoff and get in his face and get in his children's face, God says, that's cool. I still, I still don't want you to perish. Go to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Now, by the time you get to Exodus 34, what's taken place is Moses has already received the Ten Commandments once he... he tarried with God, hung out with God just a little bit too long up on the mountain. By the time he comes back, all of the people are committing fornication. They've made idols and done all of this stuff that's forbidden in the very Ten Commandments he's bringing down. But in, and of course, you remember what happened. You know, Moses got all hot and bothered, and what he did is tried to flick those people off God's globe. And he takes those Ten Commandments and, and they, you know, they're destroyed. So in this passage, God's getting ready to give those to Moses, the Ten Commandments, uh, again, and, and look at what he says in verse 5. Okay, so here, here's Moses, and he, he's come up into the mountain. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And that must have been a trip. Just standing there with God and all. And you know what God does? He proclaims his name. Now, that isn't that he says... My name is God. That, that's not what he's talking about. The, the, the name of a person, when you see the name of God in, in Scripture, what it's talking about is the sum total of who God is. The sum total of all of his attributes as they begin to come together and, and watch the attributes that God 
declares to Moses, as he declares to Moses his, his name. And the Lord passed by, verse 6, before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Check that out. God says, listen, that's who I am. And if I could just take just a second to tell you that on September 24th, 1972, I made myself, found my way into a room like this one, sitting in a folding chair on the very last row of the balcony. And God brought me under deep conviction of my sin, the fact that I was a sinner cut off from fellowship from Him, and I desperately needed Him. I, I, I came at the conclusion of that service. They, they gave an invitation. I came down and I, I talked to someone and I said, you know what, God is wearing me out right now and I want, I want Him to save me. And you know what I found? That the Lord, the Lord God, is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and forgiving. And you know what? The testimony of hundreds and hundreds of people in this room is that same exact thing. I want you to just see quickly how the psalmist declared this. In Psalm 86, Psalm 86, and look with me at verse 15. David says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. And there are some of you that are in this room this morning, and I realize today that some of you are sitting in the same exact condition that I was in as that 16-year-old teenager in Miami. You are separated from God. You do not have a relationship with God. You, you've never come to the place to where you have come to, to His cross and to the person of Jesus Christ and received Him as your own Savior. And I want you to know that today you can find the same exact thing that the psalmist is talking about in verse 15. Would you look at it again? You can find today that the God of the universe is a God who is full of compassion gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Okay. Now, why am I belaboring that point? I want to make sure that you get that down, that that's who God is. But you need to understand, there is coming a day on this planet when God's invitation to find Him as a God who's full of compassion and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, when that day will be over, and you will call upon the name of the Lord, and you will find Him not to be compassionate and not gracious, not merciful, not forgiving. Hebrews 9.27 says this, now listen, 
as it is appointed. As it is appointed unto every man once to die. Listen. And after this, the the judgment. Now listen. We don't like to think about this. Most of us keep some sort of an appointment book. And listen, every single one of us are moving toward an appointment. An appointment that it doesn't matter if you forget about this one or not. It will be kept. It doesn't matter if you don't want to go to this appointment. You will go. It's appointed unto every man. Once to die, and after this, the judgment. And would you turn to Acts chapter 17 for a moment? Acts chapter 17, Paul has been preaching that incredible sermon on Mars Hill. And he comes down in Acts chapter 17, in verse 30, and he says this, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent watch this now, because he hath appointed a day. Now listen, you've got an appointment with God, and God has appointed a day. I I don't know how God keeps his appointment book, but all I can tell you is it's there. He's got an appointment written down in his book. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. And who is that man? The Lord Jesus Christ, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. If you want to know whether or not God's going to keep his appointment, just look over your shoulder at what he did when he raised Christ from the dead. And as surely as Christ rose from the dead, you and I will stand before God in judgment, and there is coming a day on this planet when he has appointed that his wrath is going to be unleashed. It's the time that's talked about. Turn over to the book of 2 Thessalonians for a moment. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Incredible persecution has come upon this, this new church here in the city of Thessalonica. People had been beaten They were suffering incredibly. Many of them had already lost their lives. Many of the people in this church, their loved ones, had had been martyred. And and look at what he says in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We don't like to talk about this. We don't like to see this side of Jesus. And you see, that's why I was belaboring the point at the beginning, to get you to understand that right now, He is a God full of compassion. 
He is a God that is full of mercy and grace and love and goodness and truth. And that God spreads open His arms of love to receive you right now. But, please, don't wipe out of that equation in God's compassion and His long-suffering the fact that because of that, there will not come a day of reckoning because what we see all through the Scripture is there will be a day that God has appointed, a day of reckoning, a day of wrath, a day of incredible fury, a, a day of judgment. And now go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 the same exact time that Paul was just talking about in 2 Thessalonians, we see that time in Revelation chapter 14, picking up in verse 14. Now listen, this is not the passage that we're going to be dealing with today. What I'm trying to get you to see is all the things that are getting ready to take place after what we're going to see in our passage today. And, and listen, if you don't understand this, you'll never really fully come to grips with what we're going to see today, okay? We're going to be looking in verses 6 to 13 this morning. But I want you to see what God says is going to take place right after the events that we're going to be talking about this morning in verse 14. John says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great, great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs what we see here described for us we'll talk about this the next time is the event that we refer to in scripture as the second coming of Christ the same exact event that Paul was just talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. But the, what I'm wanting you to see here is what takes place right before the second coming of Christ in the last part of the tribulation period. And that's what we find in verse 6 in our text this morning. And what we're going to see here is God's last call to lost man and I don't know what that does to you but it just it just freaks me out that what we're gonna see today is God giving lost man what I believe are the people that are on this planet alive right now what we're gonna be talking about today is God giving them one last chance to respond to his message I mean after this, that's it. It's over. 
And, and I just got to tell you before we read the passage. And I don't, man, I don't want to be a jerk. Some of you folks who are guests with us today, you know, you don't know me, and I don't know you. We don't have, you know, a relationship where we've been able to figure out what's inside of each other. We haven't been able to connect our hearts and all of that kind of stuff. You don't know the things that we've talked about in this church for the last 16, 17 years or whatever it's been. You don't, you don't have that kind of history. But I just got to tell you, I live with the reality every single week when I come in here that this may be God's last call to people that are in this room. God is God. God does what God does. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for you. I don't know if there will be a tomorrow for you. And I've got to live as a, a, a preacher of the gospel. I've got to live with the reality every single Sunday when I walk in here that chances are good. People are in here. And maybe through whatever the circumstances of their life, maybe through death or maybe just the circumstances of their life, this may be the last time that the Father draws you to himself. This may be the last time for some of you that the Spirit of God does his work. And what his work is, is to convince you or to convict you, to reprove you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And for some of you in this room, this may be God's last call to you. This may be the last time that God opens his arms of love and invites you to respond to his command to repent. And again, listen, I'm not going through all of this because, ooh, they like to use scare tactics down there. All I'm trying to do is just tell you the reality that I live with every time we come in this room. I'm not trying to scare you, but oh my goodness, if I thought that it would make a difference, I would. If I thought it would make a difference in your eternity, you know what? I would gladly exchange you hating my absolute guts if it would be something God would use to face you with the reality that the God of love and mercy and compassion is also a God of justice and wrath and judgment. So what we find here is God's last call the lost man let's pick up in verse 6 and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image 
and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And now, Lord, we want to ask you as we seek to begin to move into these verses today, we want to ask you that in your grace, mercy, and compassion, you would do in this service for folks that are here that don't know you, that you would do for them what you did for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us in here this morning. You showed us our sin. You showed us our need of a Savior, and you allowed the light of the glorious gospel to shine unto us, and you translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of your dear Son. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to your mercy. And Lord, today we ask that you would do that in the lives of people. And may all of us that do know you, may we listen intently and recognize the importance and the urgency of the time in which we live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now let's, let's get into it. As you saw as we were reading through, John, in this passage, hears four voices. First, in verses 6 and 7, he hears the voice of the first angel. And the first angel has a message. A message concerning belief. A message concerning belief. Then in verse 8, John hears the voice of the second angel. And this angel has an announcement. An announcement concerning Babylon. An announcement concerning Babylon. Then in verses 9 through 11, John hears the voice of the third angel. And this third angel has a warning. A warning concerning the beast. A warning concerning the beast. And the beast, of course, is the, the Antichrist. And then in verses 12 and 13... The voice John hears isn't the voice of an angel, but the actual voice of the Spirit of God. And in light of the, the other voices that John has heard, these three angels that have spoken, the Spirit of God has a reminder. A reminder concerning blessing. A reminder concerning blessing. So that's, that's the big picture of where we're going to be heading in this passage. And now let's, let's begin to look at it piece by piece, the way that John outlines it for us here. And we'll look first at the voice of the first angel as he gives us a message concerning belief. 
John says in, in verse 6, And I, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Now, if you've been here for our study for the first 14 chapters, you remember that there have been several times as we've been making our way through this that God involves angels in the transmission of the revelation that John was receiving. We've seen that over and over. Angels are just, you know, they're just constantly. God's bringing an angel to communicate some aspect of this, and that's why he says there in verse 6, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. And look at letter A on your outline at the message this angel has to communicate, the message he has to communicate. And John tells us two things about this message that this angel has to communicate. First of all, he tells us that it is eternal in its significance. It is eternal in its significance. Look at verse 6 again. Verse 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting or eternal gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, and if you're thinking right now, and I realize that's a little bit difficult because you're trying to get all your little blankies filled in and all of that, but now let's just try to get our head into this thing. You, you look at verse 6, and one of the things, if you're thinking when you look at verse 6, that just kind of makes you step back is the fact that what we have here in this verse is an angel is preaching the gospel to people on the earth. Now, listen. That's weird, y'all. The reason that makes you step back is, is one of the things that we're constantly saying around here as we're introducing the guest. Is, what we say just about every week around here is that God has a message that he wants to communicate to the world. And, and we talk about the fact that God has chosen in his sovereignty and in his grace to use men and women to be the vehicles that he is using to proclaim his message. In fact, we go as far sometimes to say, as, uh, to say that God could have chosen anything that he jolly well chose to use to communicate this message. He could have used rocks. He could have used angels and will very authoritatively and dogmatically say, but God hasn't chosen to communicate it through angels. That right and that privilege is something that he has given specifically and exclusively to the people who comprise his church. And you know what? Listen, you can say that unashamedly. He is not going to communicate the message of the gospel through an angel. in this dispensation. In this dispensation, in this period of time that we're presently living in, God has exclusively chosen the men and women that make up his church to be his instruments and his only instruments to proclaim the gospel. In fact, he told us in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I can assure you this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it's because some man or some woman somewhere on this planet, whether directly or indirectly, that man or that woman somehow came in contact with you and proclaimed the gospel to you. Because again, God exclusively has chosen to use men and women to reach the world in this dispensation with the gospel. And quite honestly, folks, that's why we talk about that 
so much around here. We're just constantly talking about the urgency that is ours because God has chosen no other means to communicate that message. And when God does for a church what he's doing for this one, and he's opening doors to Russia, he's opening doors to the Philippines, he's opening doors to Australia, he's opening doors to China. Listen, there is an urgency that, that comes with that because we are his vehicles. We are his instruments. We are His proclaimers. We are His preachers that He has chosen to use in this dispensation. There's six billion people on this planet right now. And we talk about this over and over, but somehow it doesn't put that urgency inside of us. Fully half of the world's population has yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, we talk about all of the, the modern means of technology that we have and all of the resources that are available to us in this age of information. But check it out. In the information age that we're living in, half of the world, three billion of them, have never one time ever got that little bit of information that the Creator God of the universe visited this planet in the person of Jesus Christ, taking man's sin upon Him, and died and was buried and rose again the third day so that we could have everlasting life. All kind of information out there, anything you want on the Internet, but three billion people on the planet have never heard what I just described for you in that little 30-second little vignette. I mean, it is wild, man. We've got to get to the place to where we fully understand this, y'all. We are His messengers in this dispensation to carry that message to the ends of the earth. That is what we're going to stand before God and give an account for. What we did with the one thing that He left us on this planet to do. And, and now check this out. At the rapture, when He removes us off of this planet, and this dispensation is over... The group that we saw in verses 1 through 5, right here in chapter 14, the group called 144,000. You know what that group is going to be? According to Revelation chapter 7, that group of people is going to be God's special servants. They are going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and their responsibility, their commission, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the same same commission that you and I have. And we've talked and talked about that. And according to Revelation chapter 7, listen, that group of people is going to be unbelievably effective in winning people to Jesus Christ in their dispensation. The people in their dispensation are the people in our dispensation that we didn't get to. The people who never had the opportunity to ever hear the gospel. And that's the group of people that the 144,000 will go out and begin to evangelize. And, and when we saw them in chapter 7, this group of 144,000, what we saw is, that they, saw is that they were carrying out that ministry, that commission on the earth. But now do you remember where they are in chapter 14? Look back in verse 1. John says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, okay, now check it out, that is the Mount Zion, the true Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion, and watch this now, and with him, with him where? In the heavenly Mount Zion, in hundred forty and four thousand. So now check this out. 
in chapter 14, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists have fulfilled their ministry here on the earth at the conclusion of the tribulation. And what has happened to them is they've been raptured up to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is gone. We're the ones that carry the message in this dispensation, but this dispensation is over at the rapture. We're out of here. And so God says, okay, but I'm not going to leave myself without a witness. I'm going to pull out 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and they'll go into all the world and take that message. And at the end of the tribulation period, you see what's happening here? The 144,000 are removed, and now they're on heaven, and like we've talked about over and over and over and over again, you can bank on it. God is never, ever, ever going to leave this earth without a witness. And so what he does, because we're gone, because the 144,000 are gone, what we find that he does is God contracts an angel to preach in the final days of the tribulation period. And he preaches the everlasting gospel to the people on this planet. So it is eternal in its, in, in its significance. And notice the second thing about this message or this gospel that this angel communicates. Number two, it is universal in its scope. It is universal in its scope. First, it's eternal in its, its significance, but secondly, it's universal in its scope. And I'm telling you, y'all, I don't know how it's going to happen. I, I don't know how the people that are on this planet are actually going to hear it, but verse 6 says that this everlasting gospel is going to be preached by this angel, look at it, unto them that dwell on the earth. And so that we don't miss the scope of it, John says, to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. You see that? It's universal. I don't, again, I don't know how they're going to hear that, but the angel is going to proclaim the everlasting gospel to every single person who's on this planet. Now, I don't know if your mind works like this, but I want you to just think right now. Okay, here, here's the angels doing their angelic thing up in heaven right now. And they've been doing it for a long time. And listen, they understand the commission that's been given to us. They understand what we're supposed to be doing. Now, most of Christianity doesn't, but they understand very fully that we are God's chosen instruments to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And listen, can't you just imagine what goes through them as they look down on those of us that God has chosen to use right now to carry that message? Can you imagine what goes through their mind, what goes through their heart, if you will, as they watch us squander opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to open our mouth from a life that He's gloriously saved, and they watch us week after week after week Keep our mouth shut when we are the only way that the people of this planet will ever hear that message. They watch as we live our lives in sin so that we can make sure that we can't open our mouth to the people that we work with and the people that we go to school with and the people that live in our neighborhood. And they watch us as we take what God has given to us to be an investment so that we can invest in eternity and invest in the gospel. And they watch as we seek the things 
that are on the earth and lay up treasures for ourselves here on the earth. And they watch year after year after year after year with what we don't do, with the one thing that Jesus left us here to do. And can't you just imagine that somewhere along the way, at least one of these angels has looked down and said, Man, I'm telling you, I wish I had that chance. Man, I wish, I, I wish God would have given that, that commission to us. I wish I would have had the opportunity to be able to share that message. And what we find out in verse 6 is God's going to let one of them do it. And God says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my message, and I want you to take it to the people. And every single person that's on this planet, and I want you to watch what he does with it. He doesn't sit on it like we do. He, he doesn't take a, a haphazard, lackadaisical attitude toward it. You know what it says he's going to do with it in verse 6? He's going he's to fly. I mean, he's going to get that opportunity, and he is going to go like there's no tomorrow, proclaim that message to every person on the earth. You know what God wants us to do, y'all? He wants us to get up off of our blessed assurance and get out there and fly in the last period of, of time in this dispensation to get the people of this planet the message. Every single one of them. Go ye to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And look at letter B, at the actual communication of his message. A was the message he has to communicate. And now B, the communication of his message. The communication of his message. And notice, first of all, in verse 7, it involves conviction. It involves conviction. Verse 7 says that as he takes this gospel, he says with a, a loud voice, and I love it, man, he's like Paul. He's not ashamed of the gospel that he's been called to preach. And he preaches it, saying with a loud voice, Fear God! And give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And I want you to see here, it's a message of conviction. Now you see, at this point in the tribulation period, y'all, the, the beast, or the Antichrist, for the past three and a half years has been saying to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people group on the entire earth. You know what he's been saying? He's been saying to every person on the planet for three and a half years, Fear me! Give glory to me! And if you don't, I'll bring judgment upon you. Don't forget the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. You remember what he said? He said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And here's the Antichrist, and he's talking, Fear me! Give glory to me! If you don't, I'll bring judgment upon you. And for fear of him, and because of his judgment, millions and millions of people who are presently living on this planet right now, millions of those people are going to bow down to worship him and will take his mark... And it, evidently, at this point in the tribulation, there's still some who haven't yet taken that mark. They're still in the balances. And the angel proclaims to them with a loud voice, Fear God, 
For the hour of his judgment is come. Now, earlier I took you to Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31, and I showed you that God has appointed a day of judgment. What we find here is this is not just the day of judgment, but it is the what? It is the hour of his judgment. Again, this is God's last call to lost man. And what we find here is it's urgent, it's it's loud, it's not soft-souled, it's not sugar-coated, it's convicting. It's not the voice of a compassionate preacher that is saying, listen, we want you to know today that the God of the universe loves you so much that he became a man, he lived a sinless life on this planet, and he took your sin on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day so that you could have eternal life with him. And the God of the universe this morning wants to have a love relationship with you. That's not what this message that's not how this message is communicated. The way the angel communicates it is Fear God with a loud voice. Why? Because the hour of His judgment is come. It's a message of conviction. But secondly, it involves not only conviction, it involves conversion. The gospel He preaches isn't just fear God. Look again at verse 7. He says, and... Give glory to Him. Now, I think it's obvious to those of us that know the gospel. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, the gospel, the good news, is the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And basically, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 would explain the gospel of God, the gospel of grace in this dispensation. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's obvious here that the everlasting gospel isn't the gospel of grace that we're communicating in this dispensation, but what we do find is that some of the same truths cross over with this gospel. Listen, the Bible tells us, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that the, the Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And listen, when he does that, and, and you know what? Almost every person in this room can give testimony of the fact that when the God of the universe, by his Spirit, convicts you of sin and righteousness and of judgment, the result is that you fear God. Amen? I don't, you know what? I don't know what it was like for you. But I'm telling you, as a lost teenager that thought he was all that in a bag of chips in the city of Miami, sitting on the last row in that balcony, up, up there I got hair down to here and you know look the part and live the part and all that stuff and I'm telling you when that guy opened that book and began to proclaim it far beyond hearing that man's voice the spirit of God's voice was doing something inside of me and by the time that guy shut his mouth I'm sitting up there in that folding chair literally trembling you know why because I was convicted man and, and you know what the result of it was? I feared God, man. I was afraid he was going to come before I could open my mouth and, and, and pray uh, the prayer of invitation and of repentance for him to come into my life. What, what we see here, though, is you can be convicted 
just like I was, man, to the, pla- the place to where you're an emotional basket cl- case, to the place to where physically you're, you're just literally shaken. But unless that conviction prompts you to repent or to, to turn from the path of your life, the path, path of your sin, the path that you have chosen, and you turn from that to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, you can be convicted from now all through eternity, but until you turn, there is no conversion. You see that illustrated perfectly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, where he talks about their testimony. Paul writing to him says, how you turned to God from idols to serve the live, true and living God. Listen, every single one of us, we, the Bible says according to Isaiah 53, we're going our own way. All of a sudden, God works in our life through some man or some woman that brings the gospel into our life. Bang! We're confronted with that. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we fear God. Wonderful. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understand, it's just the beginning. But wisdom is, once you're convicted with that thing and you fear God, you turn to where God is. That's called repentance. It's called conversion. And in every dispensation, that's the pattern. First, conviction. But the conviction is to bring you to conversion. Now, as we're, as we're cruising along here today, not because I'm an eloquent preacher, because as you can already see, I ain't, but because God has supernaturally chosen to use what he calls the foolishness of preaching. What God does as the preaching of his word goes on the Spirit of God takes that to our hearts and brings us to a place of conviction. And listen, there's some of you that are in this room today. And you know what? God's going to do that on your behalf today. You know what that's, that's an indication of? That just like Jesus said, the Father is going to try to draw you to Himself. And the way that He draws you to Himself is by the Spirit's convicting you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And some of you today will be convicted of your sin in his righteousness and of judgment to come and my fear is that some of you are going to walk out simply having been convicted the conviction is to bring you to conversion to a place of decision to a place of turning so the, the message the angel communicates first of all it involves conviction it involves conversion, but verse 7 says it involves something else. It also involves consecration. Consecration. Look at the middle of the verse, verse 7. The angel says, And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Something else about salvation. Okay, No matter what dispensation you're dealing with in the entire Word of God, it always involves the convert or the consecration of worship Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the father is seeking something do you remember what he's seeking y'all he's seeking worshipers and specifically what kind of worshipers 
true worshipers, he said. And, and true worshipers are those, as you just said, who worship in spirit and in truth. And listen, in this dispensation, because that's what God is seeking. Listen, he's not just seeking, as we say so often, he's not just seeking to find a group of people on the planet that he can cart off to heaven one day. What God is seeking is worshipers, true worshipers. And listen, because that's what God is seeking, Satan is seeking to get us so preoccupied on anything and everything he can possibly use to keep us from ever really coming to grips with what God is really looking for in our life. And he does that with some of you that have never responded to his invitation to repent and his command to repent. What he does is he keeps you blinded according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. He keeps you blinded to what the gospel really is so that you never come to the place to where you're confronted with who God really is and you see Him in the fullness of all of His glory and His righteousness and you fear Him and you call upon His name and you bow before Him to become one of His worshipers. And even for those of us that do know Him, what Satan is busy doing is trying to do whatever he can do to preoccupy our time, to get us looking in places we shouldn't be looking on the things of this earth so that we never really come to grips with what it means to be a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what he's doing in this dispensation. But now listen, at this point in the tribulation, it comes down to the fact that every person on this planet will have two choices and only two. The choices come down to this. You will either worship God through the person of Jesus Christ and give him glory or you worship Satan through the person of the Antichrist and you give glory to him that's the two choices when the people of this earth find themselves at that point in the tribulation it's not just he's looking to preoccupy he's looking for you to bow before him and at the same time God is looking for you to bow before Him. And the choices are just that. So the first angel comes along and he has a message. It's a message concerning belief. And I don't know exactly what I was, what I was thinking, but I was thinking we were going to be able to make it through this whole passage today. <laughs> But you know what? We're in a great place right now. Because what you've got to understand is God isn't using angels to communicate that message today. Is that obvious or what? <laughs> but He still has a message concerning belief. And today, if you're here without Christ, you find yourself in the balances. God's job, not mine. My job is just put the book out there. God's job is to take the book and by His Spirit convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And now I'm asking you, 
Is that what the Spirit of God did for you this morning? Through the simplicity of just preaching His book? Can I ask you what's going on inside of you right now? Is God in the process of drawing you to Himself? Do you hear the voice of God over the voice of this preacher? If so, the conviction that you're dealing with right now is a conviction that he's brought so that you will face the reality of who he is and fear him so that you will call upon him so that you can become a true worshiper of Jesus Christ. And listen, the the saddest thing in the world would be for people that God's drawing that the Spirit of God is communicating to, the saddest thing in the world would be for you to get up out of your seat today, stand up, walk out that door, and get yourself busily back into life and try to discount what the Spirit of God was trying to do in this room today. Because like I said at the beginning, and I don't say this to freak you out, this may be God's last call for you. You may never find yourself again where the Spirit of God has brought you to this place. I'm not talking about 878 Commercial Avenue. I'm talking about to the place of conviction where God is working the way that He's working in your life right now. There may never be another time. I believe that's why the book of Hebrews says today if you'll hear His voice. Harden not your heart. Because the voice you're hearing today, you may not hear tomorrow. And remember what we talked about. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> we, we normally don't take the, the time to do this, but I wonder if there's somebody here today, and I'd like to ask every person in the room right now, to bow your head and just close your eyes and why don't you just contemplate what God is is trying to say to you in, in your life. But I, I wonder if there are those of you that are this morning sitting where you're sitting and the Spirit of God is is rocking you trying to communicate to you. That you're in need of a Savior. And this is not certainly part of what it's going to take for you to be converted or for you to come to Christ. But I, I just wonder if you'd be honest enough with me to say, you know what, Mark, man, I feel like a little bit like what you were talking about, you felt like. And, and God is doing something in me right now. And, it's not audible, but I, I most definitely know that God has been speaking to me this morning. 
Nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hand if God is, is doing something in your life to draw you to himself this morning? Just put your hand up for just a second, and then you can put it right back down. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Somebody else, and God bless you. And now, Lord, I want to pray for these folks that have raised their hands, and I know that there are certainly others that <clears throat> maybe just a little bit too embarrassed to, to admit that, that need. But I pray that you would speak to the hearts of, of these folks. And I pray that you'd give them the courage today to do what needs to be done in their life. For them to find in you a Savior before it's too late. Now, for those of you that that God is dealing with this morning, the invitation that we extend is an invitation to come and talk to one of our pastors. If you're a a lady, we'll we'll have a lady that will get with you and and talk with you about, about what it is to receive Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's offered from God through Him. And we would love the opportunity to, to talk with you about that. That's our invitation. But would you please understand, according to what we saw this morning in Acts seventeen thirty one, God doesn't give an invitation. God commands all men and women everywhere to repent. And if God's speaking to you today, that's His command. And our invitation is we'll have somebody that will maybe walk with you through this so that you can leave here today knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt that you've been forgiven, that you have a relationship with God, that your eternal destiny is secure. And, oh, Lord God, would you please... Help those of us that do know you to realize the urgency that is ours as the only messengers that you've chosen to use in this dispensation. Would you fill us today with an urgency to get that message out to our neighbors and our friends, our co-workers? Lord, help us to be as diligent as this first angel that John heard is going to come on the scene in the last days of the tribulation period to proclaim that message. Help us, Lord, even this week, to be faithful with the message that has been handed and entrusted to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.